to the Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. So you, you, I thought what you did with the generations in Matthew 24 was mm. um, something I've, I don't know that I've ever heard it quite like you put it in terms well, that's of. that's not good. <laughs> well, I was about to say that. I'm like, that's, that either means I'm really uneducated or you went so far out on your own limb that, that, that you are, you're, cre- you're, you're making a new theological path. But I thought what you said was helpful about the generations was it wasn't just about timing, but it was the culmination of everything the prophets have been warning. The, the culmination of the destruction of the temple in your generation is you're, you're going to be crucifying the Christ. The condemnation that's been building in in the prophets from the time of the kings uh, till now, it's about to come, and it's not going to pass before you. It's, your generation's not going to pass before it comes. Is that a fair summary of what you meant? And, I, and if so, I thought that was really helpful. Yeah, you ta- you're talking about this last week, right? Yeah. Matthew 27. That's the one. Yeah. Um, so... Basically, uh, um, I wouldn't assume anybody's even listened to the sermon that I that I preached last Sunday. But um, well, you had basically you, had you have do what you had people there. Yeah, yeah, there were people yeah. there listening to it live. Some of them, um, and uh, so by the end of chapter chapter twenty seven, verse twenty five, the people uh, respond, "His blood be on us and on our children." And that this is like their response to Pilate, who is bringing Jesus to trial, and Pilate clearly wants nothing to do with him. And you can kind of see this pattern uh, rising up from, I mean, really probably going into the farthest reaches of the, the book of Matthew, but mm-hmm. you, you definitely see Jesus make this massive proclamation to the disciples in t- chapter 24 that the temple is going to be destroyed and and you and I, there's a lot of you know, we've talked about Matthew 24 on here and th- th- there's a lot of i think misconceptions about about the book as a whole but uh, or about that especially about that part of the book but when you get to Matthew 24 the disciples are like look at these stones look at this impressive structure you know here and and Jesus is like hey not one stone is going to be left uh by the time this thing is over and that that seems to mm-hmm. be like a just a really shocking moment to the disciples because mm-hmm. they follow up when they get to the to the Mount of Olives and they ask him, you know, when is that going to happen? And he so he goes into a lot of details about how the temple is going to be destroyed and and so you, th- I think the question in the mind of the reader, if if somebody is not familiar, and I think that's the way we should kind of go into it, assuming like. This is written to somebody who's not familiar with the story of Jesus. Um, that when you when you you're thinking to yourself, how is it that the temple could possibly be destroyed? How is it that the Jews deserve that kind of uh, condemnation? And mm-hmm. when you get into chapter 27, 26 and twenty seven, everyone is trying to. Obviously, Jesus is going to be handed over. He's going to be crucified, and this man is innocent. And we see several times Matthew 
make sure that we understand that this is an innocent man's blood, even from the hand, from the mouth of Judas himself. Mm-hmm. He tells us he's innocent. The chief priest can't take the money into the into the coffers of the temple because it's it's blood money essentially, and so they they uh, have to do something with it. There's there's tons of plots l- laid out that I think all involve the killing of a righteous man, and everybody kind of recognizes that. And so the the blood of Christ is being passed from one person to another, quite literally. Um, Peter's denying knowledge of him. Judas is saying, I, I've betrayed an innocent man's blood. I can't take this money. Throws it back. The chief priest can't put the blood money into the temple coffer, so they they pretty much buy a field with it to bury uh, you know sojourners and travelers. And then we get to Pilate, and he's like, I, I don't want his blood either. And he washes his hands of the blood. And and then you get down to that very last bit, and it's the people, uh, the Jews, who are gathered outside of, of Pilate's you know, residence that say, his blood be on us and on our children. And that I think that statement, on us and on our children, goes back to Matthew 24 when Jesus reiterates this all destruction of the temple is going to happen in this generation, meaning mm-hmm. you, the, the people who are in leadership, and your children who are going coming up in leadership, this is going to happen in your generation. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're going to see it with your own two eyes. And what brings, why is the condemnation uh, coming to you in this generation? Well, they say it themselves in 27, his blood be on us and on our our gen- our, our, and on our children, meaning his blood be on, on our generation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it's important that you, that we understand that the condemnation that's being given to the Jews in the destruction of the temple that Jesus has already prophesied in 24 is coming about precisely because they rejected the Messiah and mm-hmm. they killed him and they wanted the condemnation for his blood. And so I, I think that's kind of the connection, the thread that Matthew's laying out there is it's not placing blame, you know, merely on the Jews. I think everybody in the whole story is guilty. And, you know, eventually Peter in Acts is going to put the blame on, on really everybody who's hearing the gospel message. Mm-hmm. You're responsible too. You know, mm-hmm. he lays it on the Gentiles. He lays it on Pilate. He lays it on... Um, on the Roman soldiers, he lays it on the Jews, he lays it on on literally everyone. Um, our sin was what ultimately he died for, and so you know we're responsible for it too. And so he's not just merely saying on the Jews is the responsibility. And if you read mm-hmm. it wrongly, I think that's the way what you'd walk away with is like, oh well, Matthew's just blaming the Jews, and and you have to understand Matthew is a Jew, so <laughs> it doesn't really you know just behoove him to just lay it out so so broadly like that what he what he's really doing is saying the condemnation that's coming in the in the temple's destruction mm-hmm. is brought about because you killed this man and, and you really you invited the condemnation on yourself hmm. and the invitation is still the same to Jew and Gentile it's you know repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand which he opens the gospel with mm-hmm. so how how would you I mean when you went through that with your congregation even now, now as you look at it where where did you kind of nail down what what do you say in terms of where we are in the time period of the end times according to Matthew I think I mean I, I think according to Matthew 
and and I think according to the rest of the Bible. Um, hey, I just asked about Matthew. I'm preaching Revelation. You do Matthew. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> We'll meet in the middle, somewhere around <laughs> Philemon, maybe. I don't know. Um, was it Philemon? I don't know what word was the middle. I have no idea, but yeah, um, I, that was just a broad guess. But I don't know. It sounds close. Um, so, you know, I think the Paul, uh, Matthew. I think everybody is gonna is gonna put this as the last days. Matthew, I think what's helpful about understanding every time I when I talk to people when I teach. Uh, scripture, I think a lot of times people are expecting when they hear timeline, and, and I think this is what's so unhelpful about some end times studies and, and things like that, is that it's it's like people want a down-to-the-second chronology of how everything's going to happen, and, and I just don't see the New Testament writers thinking mm-hmm. that way. I don't even see Jesus talking mm-hmm. that way. Um, it, it seems, you know, like he, he tells Caiaphas, for instance, he says, um, you know, he said, he asked him, Caiaphas asked him in 26, 63 to, you know, tell us if you are the, the son, the son of man. And he says, you have said so. And from now on, you will see the son of man, um, coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And, and it's a, it's a callback to Daniel chapter seven. Uh, to hmm. the cloud rider coming in, the son of man being given authority and, and a kingdom and all this kind of stuff. And um, w- w- this is maybe takes just a minute to flesh out, but it, and, it, and it can be a little bit difficult to understand, but I, I think, but you know, when he, when he says that to Caiaphas, Caiaphas immediately understands it's blasphemy. It is him claiming the authority of God, which if you read Daniel seven thirteen and 14, that's exactly what the Son of Man who comes on the clouds of heaven and receives the dominion from the Ancient of Days, that's exactly what that is. He's putting himself in the, on, on the same level as the Almighty, as God himself, mm-hmm. the Ancient of Days. And so Pilate understands it that way. And if you, if you think about what Jesus is doing in all the way back to 24, when he says the same thing, he's talking there about the destruction of the temple. Well, that hasn't happened for another 40 years, in 70 mm-hmm. AD. And so he tells Caiaphas, you, from now on, you will see. So, like, you, you're going to see it, Caiaphas. Your, your eyes are going to be open to the Son of Man gaining his throne and, and, being, and receiving this crown and the Ancient of Days placing it on my head. And he even tells the disciples when he raises from the dead in 28 uh, in the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and, you know— basically the Great Commission, you know. And so um, w- what we see there is that, the, that the, the crowning of the Son of Man from Daniel is, is not an instance. It's not, or it's not an instant, instantaneous event, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not as though, well, what was it? Well, it was the crucifixion. When he said it, it is finished, the, the, all the authority was, was there placed on his head. Well, to some extent, the resurrection is that crowning uh, achievement for Christ. Mm-hmm. It's it's that event where the the authority is given to him, and he says as much in the Great Commission. But that authority has a, a ripple effect um, for forty years until the Jewish system of governance is is finally overthrown. 
is is done away with. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a gradual decline for 40 years of that Jewish system of government as the church takes root and begins to excel and and spread and and make it you know all over the world and so i think we we tend to look at the end times event end time events as or the end times is like well first here's this and then there's this and then there's that and then there's this and and i i don't think that's necessarily helpful i think it's more helpful to say right now we are in what the new testament times refers to as the last days and what inaugurated the last days was, yes, Christ's death, burial, his resurrection, all mm-hmm. authority being given to him. The destruction of the temple in 70 AD was a huge moment where the, it's the toppling of the Jewish kingdom. Mm-hmm. And the last days then is that period of time between Christ's resurrection and his uh, return, or his ascension and his return, where the church is calling to all of God's elect to come in, come into mm-hmm. his kingdom. And, you know, over time, people are hearing that message of the gospel. Mm-hmm. They're responding, they're laying down their lives, and they're, they're streaming into the kingdom. And mm-hmm. when that's over, he returns, mm-hmm. you know, so that that's where we are. I think in, as far as the new Testament is concerned, old Testament, wherever you go in the Bible, I think that's essentially our place right now mm-hmm. in, um, in, in, in times history, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's helpful when, um, so, so would you, in, in short, would you say you, fit most tightly with the all millennial position that's what you're describing um yeah i think that does fit with the all millennial position probably the best yeah yeah and i think as i've looked at multiple commentators on multiple spectrums uh those those who are most honest obviously put out all the views of timing and then they espouse the strengths and weaknesses of each and then they kind of pick their horse or they kind of make up their own version of a couple you know borrow this from here this from here and they say their own thing right um one of the things i found in reading um and which has been encouraging to me uh, reading commentators is none of them fit in a category singularly and and linearly in in, in a linear way i should say that there's always kind of a you know we get this from preterism maybe there's some things to consider we get this from amillennialism, we get this from this, and there's some some things to borrow. And those those camps can't all agree, um, but most people are not saying I'm getting in a position. I'm just going to defend that position. They get in the Bible, and they try to make sense of the Bible, mm-hmm. and and so so that's encouraging for me, you know. And it's not it doesn't give any of us a reason to be panmillennialist and just say everything's going to pan out and have no views about what the Bible actually says. Because I'm I, like I've told our people over and over. I think I've mentioned on the podcast. Revelation is there to reveal. The whole Bible is there to reveal. Mm-hmm. The it, it, the whole Bible is called Revelation. That's what the Bible is. God revealing Himself, His nature, His plans, His will. So if we think like, oh, this is just meant to hide, and God's holding things back, and He doesn't want to tell us when when the end is, and He doesn't want to tell us the details because He's kind of stingy, and He just 
No, that's the exact opposite nature of what God's doing in Revelation. That's the exact mm-hmm. opposite of what all of Scripture is, much less mm-hmm. the book of Revelation, which is based on the word apocalypse, which means reveal. So mm-hmm. this is for us to know. It doesn't mean we're supposed to know everything. Um, when I was talking about timing, getting into Revelation 6 through 20, I, I explained it this way. One, in, in Matthew 24, going back to your passage, the disciples... That part of that whole that whole that whole uh, chapter begins with when are these things going to be? What's the sign of your coming at the end of the age? It's a question. When? When will these things be? What will be the sign? And one of Jesus' conclusions uh, later on in his arguments is the, these are signs. These are birth pangs, and these these things in verses thirty-two down thirty-four. These these things mean that he's very near. He's at the very gates, but verse 24 or verse 36 but concerning the day or the hour no one knows not even the angels of heaven and when you get into Acts chapter 1 Jesus has been there for uh, is it 50 days 40 50 days on on earth resurrected he's teaching uh, them about the kingdom of heaven and they ask is now the time that you're going to come consummate the kingdom is now the time and Jesus says ah, these things aren't for you to know what you do need to know <laughs> is that the Holy Spirit is coming and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the end of the age. And that's what happens in the book of Acts. And the way I've explained, so uh, this doesn't answer all the questions. I think this might irk some people because it feels like a dodge, but I I think this is a helpful interpretive lens to Revelation. That we, it's kind of like, um, you know, asking someone, what time are we, uh, are we going to go on a date on Friday? What, what time are we going to go to the game on Friday? What time are we going to meet? And instead of giving you a time, someone gives you a story. Or instead of giving you a time, someone says, well, look for the star. <laughs> okay, but what time? Well, I'm just telling you, look for the star. <laughs> like, it, it's those... Have you been listening to these conversations kind of... with me and my wife? Yeah, <laughs> 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 baby, what, 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 time are, what time are we going? When I'm ready. Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that, that Jesus... The, those two crucial moments, pre-crucifixion and then resurrection, pre-ascension, Jesus has asked about timing, and he doesn't answer. He answers with something else. And so I, I took that, and I, I just said, listen, I don't think Revelation is that moment when Jesus changed his mind and decided to answer that question in the way we want. In fact, I, th- I think it's the opposite. I think it continues to not speak that way first and primarily, that it's giving us signs and it's helping us understand our times, not to, you know, download the the revelation, you know, iCalendar and subscribe to it on our iPhone so we know when things are going to happen. That's not how we. That's not the kind of knowing that is helping us know. Um, do you think that's fair? Because I think fundamentally that just that just kind of helps me open up the book and say I'm not trying to find dates, because it's not even doing that. So I, I read it different jumping in from the beginning because of what how Jesus answered those questions. I, th- I think broadly I would agree with you. There's there's one part where I would where I would say I don't necessarily read it that way in Matthew 24, uh-huh. which is <clears throat> I think from basically verse one all the way to 35, the reference I think is to the destruction of the temple, and I think his intention is to give them mm-hmm. ample evidence for how you know it's coming about. And I think part of the confusion for people is he 
is talking about the you know the sky's darkened and all of this and and it has this kind of apocalyptic language to it mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you you know kind of are looking for this really this big apocalypse to to take place and um sort of like what kind of is often depicted in movies and things of revelation and, and stuff like that and so uh so people kind of i think misread it but i think his intention in the first 35 verses is to say here's all the signs i can't tell you a day like a like a an actual second i mean i suppose he could have but he didn't right but instead what he he gives them is all the signs how you know it's about to happen this is when you need to run those who are in judea need to run if you're if you know i hope there's not any pregnant women or or woe to you the pregnant women who are nursing infants in those days because it's going to be really hard on you and and pray that it's not in winter and you know and yeah, i and think what he, i see i see in matthew 24 and in revelation i see in both there's an increasing intensity yeah okay but hold off on revelation for just a second cuz i think up until the point of verse 35 he's he's pushing them to look for these signs but if you notice in verse 36 and following he switches to say don't worry about the signs when it comes to when I return. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's what he's talking about. From 36 on, he's talking about now the second coming. Don't worry about that. All you need to do is be ready for when I do return. So I think he's describing those two events, um, starting with the destruction of the temple, and he's telling them he his intention is to give them signs. Uh, of speci- of a specific day or time period when they are to run, but then changing in thirty six. But then you also asked about when I'm cu- when I'm going to return, and and the end of the age. And I I, I can't tell you that. I, um, and so don't worry about that. Just be ready. And so it's like two different things that he's talking about. Which, if you go back through Matthew, lines up perfectly. And and I'm not an amillennialist because I read the amillennial position. And I was like, okay, now let me go back into the scriptures and let me see where that lines up. I'm an amillennial because I read the text of scripture and none of the other ones made sense of what I was reading in the Bible. Um, when you read the Jesus in his own words, he tells many times in the Gospel of Matthew and, and the other Gospels as well of what it's going to be like uh, up until he comes back. When he talks about in Matthew 13, the parable of the weeds, um, well, the wheat and the tares are going to grow up next to each other, and then all of a sudden there's going to be a trumpet call, and the angels are going to gather the the wheat into my barn, and he's going to take the tares and throw them into the fire. And, and every parable where he describes the gather the gathering of the fish, are going to throw out the net, and they're just going to mm-hmm. gather them up, and then they're going to separate the evil, and they're going to take the good. And... and it, the, all of the descriptions through his parables of how everything's going to flesh out, it's like life happens, and then all of a sudden it's over. There's there's no there's no like warning time. There's no take the church away and then and then this comes and then that happens and then these thousand years and then this and then that and then then finally everything is 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 coming to an end. It, it's just like everything's going along in this final in in days last days. Mm-hmm. and then it's over. Like the days of Noah. Yeah, and then when you get to 24, at, at from 36, he's, he starts talking about the days of Noah. 
Mm-hmm. And people read the days of Noah and they're like, oh, well, you know, like in the days of Noah, one's going to be taken and one's left. And he, he, the one taken is taken in judgment. That's how they were taken in the days of Noah. They were mm-hmm. swept away by the waters of the flood. And he, he says that in, in 24, and it's, it's often misinterpreted and switched around because there's a preconceived notion going into reading Matthew 24 that you then read out of it. But, but he, he's not saying anything different in Matthew 24 than he said in the rest of his parables where he's talking about how the world's going to end. You're just going to be going along as normal, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's over. Mm-hmm. The wheat is gathered into my barn, and and the tares are thrown into the lake of fire. It's over. Mm-hmm. It's done at that point. There's no cascading effect, and this you know thousand this, and you know seven this, and it, there's none of that. It's it's just it's over. And and is there like a escalation of tribulation? Does it grow over time? Does it get eventually global? Is there an antichrist? I think all of those things are true. That all that happens, and I think the amillennial position has not been super clear on that, and has been worse. Has been I think wishy washy on it, um, mm-hmm. amongst many well, commentators, and I don't think that's helpful. I, well, it does seem like there's an antichrist. It does seem like there's a progression. There, 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 there is a, a eventual escalation to a global type level of of persecution against the church. I think all of those things are warranted in the text um, that some of the other viewpoints have have pointed out quite helpfully but the point is even if there is some escalation it's just going to end one day you know right it's going to be over and there's christ and his kingdom and it's too late to repent at that point yeah and the you know how bad is bad enough to know that the end is now well that's not the answer just know that as the birth pangs get greater you're getting closer yeah and and having you know my wife's had four children i just know how this works i just i get it I mean, I don't have personal experience, but you know, I've I've been I've been I've been in the room when the birth pangs get worse and worse and worse, and then finally you realize, oh, this baby's here. Yeah, that that. But kind I think of, I think in Matthew, if I'm not mistaken, I could go back and look at it. But I think in Matthew, when he describes the birth pangs, he's describing the birth pangs of the final days, that the that of the time we're in. That, um, and I think Paul switches it around and does it differently illustrates it differently in Romans but in Matthew he I think he's using if I remember right in 24 he uses the birth pains to talk about the destruction of the temple and the yeah. the fulfillment of his kingdom the destruction in the of church the temple, in 7 yeah 70 AD these things are the beginning of the birth pains right right yeah no he um, well I think he says the the invasion of the armies isn't that what it is these are the beginnings of the birth pains or the wars and rumors of wars. That's what it is. Rumors of wars. So he's he's talking about the leading up to the destruction of the temple in seventy A.D. Right. And when you hear the wars and rumors of wars, these are the beginnings of the birth pangs, I, I believe. But it seems like when Jesus gets to verse thirty six, he's he's answering both questions, but also in a continuum. So that these things are going to happen to fulfill and initiate and continue the end times. But concerning that last day, time, hour, I don't have an answer for you. It's going to come upon you like the days of Noah, right? So that the the beginning of the birth pains, they're going to continue and seemingly increase. When what's the day and the hour the baby's going to be born? Verse thirty six. We don't know. I read it differently, and I and I and I think because in verse fifteen he says, "So when you see the abomination of desolation, um, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, and what that is." 
I think with pretty, pretty, I'm pretty confident in just based on the way Luke describes this exact same event is the surrounding of Jerusalem by the pagan armies, which is Mm -hmm. Rome in Mm -hmm. 70 AD. And so he says, let no one who is on the housetop go down and take what's in his house. No one turns field, go get his cloak for the women who are pregnant. He's talking about Judea. He's talking about a specific region that you should be afraid. False Christ are going to come, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then the tribulation of those days in verse 29, where the sun is darkened, that, that reference, the sun is darkened, it goes all the way back to Isaiah and the prophets, where there is um, an overturn of a kingdom. And the kingdom that he's describing being overturned here is that's the stars falling from heaven, the powers of heavens be shaken. That's a kingdom coming to an end. And the kingdom coming to an end is the kingdom of the Jews. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man, where all the tribes will will mourn at the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. And people read that and they think second coming. He means the same thing there that he means to Caiaphas when he says, you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. You're about to see me take the crown of authority from you and get it on my own head, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that comes to fruition, that comes to fulfillment, I should say, when the temple is destroyed in 70 AD. And so he brings that part to a close. And then he says in 36, in contrast concerning that day. So he switches from describing in 29, those days to in 36, that day. And the reason he has two different, he's talking about two different things is because he's responding to the question that they ask him. Right. They, they ask him, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? It's two questions. When will these things, which is a reference to the yeah. temple being torn down, which he just said, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And he basically gives them two answers. Here's the signs right. of the temple. I want you to know. I want you to run. It's going to be in this area and this region. But concerning that day, no one knows. So it's two answers to to two questions that they give him and he's separating them out. Right. And I think we're closer together than, than you might think. And, and in one sense, it's because the, the, um, the all mill position, the position that says we are currently in the last times end days, everything from Christ, death, resurrection, ascension to his return is, is last days. And that J- Jesus sees that once he's crucified and these things start happening up till verse 35, that those are you're in the beginning of the last days, or or are you saying that you think the last days begin in seventy A.D.? That, but that's what I was saying at the beginning is really the last days begin. It's I don't think it's fair to put a specific moment in time on exactly. it. Yeah, the right. last days begin at Christ's resurrection. Yes, right. but begin at the destruction of the temple. Yes, uh, it, it's it's a there's an overlapping fulfillment here. It's not a precise moment in time. He says, all authority has been given in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples in his resurrection. So obviously the church age has begun, but the Judaic age has not come to, a, to an end, and it won't come to an end until the temple is destroyed in 70 AD. And so there, there's sort of this overlapping fulfillment when one age comes to a close, the Judaic age, and when the, the age of last the last days— uh, finally comes into its, its, it, it, it's the volumes turned up to 10, to max, I guess is right. what you would say. So it's right. 
it's it's slowly ramping up as the church takes root and and is fulfilled. And he says, because he's just given them so many signs that mm-hmm. that you should run when you yeah. should run, so that you are not taken in by what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He gives them all these signs, and then he says in thirty six, no one no one knows, not even the angels or the son of heaven, concerning that day and hour. So he right. he's basically switching in thirty six to say. Here's no signs. I'm not giving you any signs. I'm just telling you be ready. Well, right. he's just given them tons of signs about when the temple's going to be destroyed, but now he's switching to say when I when I return though, just stay ready. You, right. Just be ready, stay ready. I'll come when I come. Don't worry about that. You know, right. worry about the destruction of the temple, yes. Don't worry about the other. Right, which I which which I'm agreeing with and you know, looking having looked at Revelation, I think Revelation is saying the same thing in that the only thing it has to say and show is that these are the things that are being poured out in this time. And a lot of the things aren't given time period. You know, I, at least I, I read Revelation as uh, recursive. It's cycling through history multiple times, you know, looking at a car accident from, you know, multiple angles uh, and multiple testimonies describing the same, same time period. And that the the ultimate point is Jesus has given in Matthew 24 the uh, what you just described and I think this is you know kind of the broadness of the all mill position is that it's basically marked that position is basically marked by interpretation of what you just gave in Matthew 24 that when it comes to the end the very end it's gonna it's gonna be pretty quick that it's just yeah. gonna come to an end and you're not gonna know right so if you if you think well there's an intensity and there's a guy and there's a movement like you know defining who the dragon is in you know 12 defining the beast and knowing who they are i don't think it's even asking us to do that necessarily e- even if it uh, you know we we've talked before about those uh, characters being some of them being symbolic of government and general oppression things like that even if it's a real person it it's it's general enough that it doesn't help us know them specifically i, I don't think um but it, it describes the times that we're in and the next thing that we're looking for, the next thing that is the sure sign is the return of Christ. Everything else is, well, it seems like it's getting worse. I, so I would hold a pessimistic view of the end times, that things are going to get worse over time on the earth for Christians. Uh, there, there may be seasons of civility and peace, but it's going to be worse for Christians around the world right and that that and that's one of the things i brought up in my sermon last week or week before something like that looking at revelation 6 through 20 is that the bible in revelation at least is starting to tease out what's it going to be like in the church between basically between matthew 24 35 and when jesus does come in that last hour i think revelation's filling in that gap between matthew 24 35 and 36 and that's kind of generally how I see it. This is what your experience is going to be like between the temple being destroyed and Christ's return. And it's equipping Christians to from all over the world in every scenario. So we talked about how, you know, Voice of the Martyrs explains, uh, you know, gives you prayer guides for different nations and uh, just the 400 billion people, I think, live in countries and nations where there is resistance or hostility to the go- to the government or to Christians from a governmental or or heavily cultured way. 
400 billion. I just, I just think Revelation, and even Matthew 24, and the, the things about the end times, what the church is facing, lands differently in different cultures around the world. It's extremely easy for American Christians to think of end times as a thing that is coming in the future. Mm-hmm. Because it's unimaginable, those things being like that. Yes. But I think Christians around the world read these things and go, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you, know, you know what? That, that really explains our situation here. Yeah, and I, and I think that's what Revelation is 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 doing. Yeah, uh, tell, is you, tell you the that Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Well, you know, in the future when persecution comes, yeah. it's yeah. like what? What are you yeah. talking about in the future when persecution comes? <laughs> well, when yeah. it gets really bad in the future, like what do you worse than pe- being hunted down in the streets and killed? Yeah, in front yeah. of your family and your wife and daughters taken or raped or murdered yeah. i mean you know how does it get worse than that it, it doesn't you know and and so it's it's there's a there's a convenient way of describing the end times at, in america especially in the west as a future time when persecution comes because we we don't know that mm-hmm. and I, I, you know it it's it just breaks the boundaries of of the actual words in the bible you know, you, you wouldn't read the Bible and just come to that conclusion uh, with the words of Jesus in his parables of the end times. Mm-hmm. You, you would not read that um, in there if, if somebody didn't do it first for you and then you try to fit those things into Scripture. It just doesn't work. And mm-hmm. ultimately, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you're—so uh, basically, that leaves us with a place where we really are not even— preaching the discernment of the times so like i i've got i know uh, of a church uh that has an annual and i'm not trying to knock them right i'm not degrading them i i'm refusing sarcasm here but on new year's eve every year they'll have an all uh you know like starting at midnight or going into midnight in times you know up to date basically getting out the newspaper, looking at Iran, you know, the old Persia, looking at the old Babylon, looking at Russia, the nation from the north, and and Israel, and starting from 1948 when they got their independence, and, you know, putting together Daniel's timeline, putting together Revelation timeline, and then just showing how things are moving, and the nations are moving in on Israel now, and these things are coming true, a dispensational uh, view without taking too much time to even explain that. Um, but what you just described and what I think is fair and biblical is that we're, we're not even doing that. Um, no. That we're not supposed to do that. That, that Daniel, that the way you take Matthew 24, the way you take Revelation is that that's not, we're supposed to look for him to come. He's the next thing. A lot of things are going to be happening, right? All, all the things in Revelation 6 through 20 are going to be happening and they are happening and they, and they will be happening. Uh, and some of them are yet future, it seems. Uh, some of them are past and present. But Revelation isn't there to give us a then you will know. Uh, we're just told to wait, and we're told to endure, and we're told to, kind of like we talked about last week with the, the, the beast in Mark and Revelation 13, this is for wisdom. This is we're for told to work. This, this like that, that's the, I think that's the thing that's like, you know, so frustrating about that idea of like date setting. That's, that's eventually what it's going to lead to. It's just date setting. 
And you can go through all the texts that are typically used by people to do that. You can go back into books written in the last hundred years, and you can find those same texts used to point to different countries and reason out, ration, rationale, uh, ration, um, whatever, think about uh, uh, certain days that are coming that have long since passed and that Jesus' return did not happen. Because mm-hmm. surely this country doing this XYZ thing over here fulfills this passage in Revelation. Well, ultimately, I guess it didn't because right. that date came and went and Jesus didn't return. And what he gets to in 25, Matthew 25, is you're supposed to work. I've given you work to do. I've given you a job to do of, of proclaiming the gospel to people, of freedom from sin through faith in Christ Jesus alone. He's given us a job to do, and we're to go about doing that. And, yeah. and, and the, pro- the problem with all of this is we're sitting around thinking about what day he's coming, and he's told us specifically, you're never going to be able to figure it out. Yeah. I don't know, and the angels don't know. Yeah. The Father only knows those things. So it's not you're not going to be able to figure it out by looking at Scripture. That's not the purpose of Scripture. The purpose of Scripture, Paul tells us, is to prepare us for good works. So if that's the purpose, then we should be going about doing good works, proclaiming the gospel, not sitting around figuring out what day he's going to come back based on XYZ scripture. He has not given us scripture for that purpose, and he specifically told us that in the scriptures. He told us that is not the purpose of scripture. The purpose mm-hmm. of scripture is so that the man of God may be trained for every good work. Yeah. So, it, it, so do that and yeah. use scripture for that purpose. Don't and use think- it for setting dates. I it's think craziness. Tend to hear that who have so like I'm I'd still consider myself a recovering dispensationalist even though I'm currently preaching revelation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I'm I'm figuring out as I preach. I feel sorry for my church. Um <laughs> but there's there's this like you there's kind of the letdown where you think oh it's not about those things. It's not about the date. It's not about calculations and it's not about uh, managing the times and discerning the nations and, you know, learning to watch the weather so that I know when the end is near. It's not about that. And then I think there's an immediate disappointment. Oh, well, it doesn't do what I thought it was going to do. It's kind of like the toy that you got for Christmas that now you feel like it's broken and you don't want to play with it anymore because mm. like you don't know what it's supposed to do. But when you actually pick it back up and realize it actually does this much better thing and it's much better at that, if you use it to encourage and you use it to build and encourage wisdom and you use it to fear the Lord and trust Christ and wait for him, it's an immeasurably helpful and encouraging, uh, I would say, genre of Scripture, Matthew 24 and Revelation. I literally had someone tell me, and I I don't want to say who this is, but I, I literally had someone tell me that... If the Bible is not predicting a date for when Jesus returns, then it's worthless. Huh. They literally told me that. Wow. And and so instead, and I'm and I'm telling them the Bible is there to allow you to be satisfied with the God of the universe who is the only one who knows when Christ is gonna return. Mm-hmm. And when you are satisfied that he is in charge of this all, 
when you can rest easy knowing that you don't have to worry about the weather tomorrow, that all of this is within his hand, and no matter what comes up, it's all according to his sovereign plan, then you can be satisfied knowing that's not up to you, and it doesn't matter. I don't need it to be. I can instead rest in his sovereignty, and I can go, look, I don't know what tomorrow brings. Today has enough worries of itself for its own. And, and and it has a and, and and my worry over the future, my concern over the future, my thoughts over the future, they do nothing about changing the future. Yeah. And so it allows us to then come back and just rest in his sovereignty and go, you know what? He has given me. He has given me a ministry. He has given me a family, a people. He has given me my own little patch of this world, this little garden, and I and he has told me to weed it, and he has told me to plant, and he has told me to you know get all the little stones out and to till the ground and do all of these tasks that he's appointed me to do. Why this patch and why not that other patch? I don't know. Why the parameters are at the size that they are and not bigger or smaller? I don't know. But mm. that's what he's given me, and he has given me his spirit to ensure that I can actually do the work that he's prepared for me to do. And that's what I need to be concerned with. And his word tells me that over and over again. Do not be concerned. The purpose of Revelation, the purpose of Matthew, purpose of any book of the Bible, it may allude to things that are very difficult to understand, or it may talk specifically about some things that are, are trying, and we should do our best to understand them for sure. There's no question about that. But in the end, he's told us they're not to tell you when all these things are going to happen. That's that's mm-hmm. not what, what that's for. It's not right. to tell you when Christ is going to return. It yeah. is to tell you that this is the work that I have for you, and this is what you need to stay focused on. Yeah. It's very clear. So, yeah, this week, and I guess it does, it's not a teaser because this, th- this episode will air after I preach this, but this week I'm preaching Revelation 8, 6, all the way through eleven nineteen. In one sermon, all of the trumpets of the angels in one sermon, and the reason should I go I, on record for before your church and like <laughs> listening? <laughs> Just so you know, I warned him. You said not to do it. Yeah, I, you can I have said that. not to do it. But how I'm thinking about it right now, this is the kind of conversations we've been having for years. I'm going to say this out loud. You tell me if you think it's stupid. <laughs> but right now, I think. Revelation 1 through 7, or sorry, Revelation 8, 6 through eleven nineteen is all the seven trumpets. And in there is the uh, you know, scorpion-tailed demons coming, uh, locusts coming out, the servants of Abaddon coming out of the bottomless pit. In there is the angel with the little scroll. In there is the two witnesses who are killed and uh, raised up back from the dead. All of those things which create some interpretive challenges. But what I'm, what I'm going to say is that that's supposed to be read as one unit, uh, 8, 6 through eleven nineteen. all the trumpets, for example. This is just kind of an example of how Revelation works and how it's supposed to encourage and what it's supposed to inform us of. And the temptation is to get in there and interpret all the, figure out who all these characters are on the earth in their time. But I'm going to argue that 
so I, I was never really good at math. So if this doesn't work, just <laughs> that's fine. I don't care. If you get the principle, that's fine. Two religion like, majors arguing about math. This this is going to end well. <laughs> who went to Mary Harden Baylor? Just yeah. the, the, the mathematics center of Texas. Yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm, I'm a mathematician. Here we go. <laughs> so it's like one of those e- equations where you have x times six plus a plus two equals twenty four. Did you just it put give, a letter in a math problem? Come on, I don't bro. think can you do algebra. that? Is that it's algebra, man? I think it's algebra. Right. <laughs> yes, I remember doing things like this. I remember that I used to know how to do things like this. But okay. my point all is, right, that it, Pythagoras, it, go ahead. All right. <laughs> it gives you it. It gives you the answer, and it has these variables that are left unknown. And so I'm going to say that Revelation one through seven, when it comes to interpretation, it ends with the answer. And how some of those pieces in 8, 6 through eleven nineteen are going to get worked out historically, they're going to remain variables. But we already have the answer in the very end. So some of the things, you know, one of the one of the things we look at in all of the, the the cycles of Revelation is they tend to end with songs of the saints that interpret all the events backwards. So I, I don't I don't think we have time to get all into it, but just as an encouragement, um, the the very last trumpet is sounded after these three chapters of uh, battle and torment and suffering and challenge and victory by Christ's servants on the earth. The seventh angel blows his trumpet. There are loud voices in heaven. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. That is past tense. That's already happened. When that happens, he shall reign forever and ever, and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to the Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. So you've wrapped all this up. And then their interpretation, the interpretation at the when Christ comes and makes the, the world his kingdom, the nations raged, but your wrath came, the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name both small and great and for destroying the destroyers of the earth so I think if you I don't have time to go on explanations but what I'm going to say on, on Sunday is that is telling us how, how the 24 elders sing and worship how they interpret everything that just was uh, revealed and that happened in the previous six trumpets there was a, a battle of the nations raging, and it was a waiting for the time of judgment. It was a waiting for a time of the re- rewarding of the servants who were suffering uh, for his name, both great and small. And at the very end will be the destruction of the destroyers of the earth. Uh, and so particulars aside, that, that seems to interpret backwards the main point is. And I don't think it's too general. I think that's the point of this whole section. We give thanks to God. He's taken his great power. He's begun to reign. That's the end. No more. No more allowing evil to reign on the earth. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but that's kind of where I'm going right now. So maybe when we got the podcast, if you need to save my church from what I'm about to do, give me a call. I just I just want to know when Wormwood is coming. <laughs> because you want me to talk about c.s lewis or you know i'm just saying you know 
when's the when's the meteor gonna hit the hit the earth Mm. yeah i i mean you know honestly like when you when you preach through revelation teach through it it's a you you're you you're gonna make a decision one way or the other Mm -hmm. either you're gonna take it in broad sections and you're gonna talk about things generally which i think there's a ton of merit to doing that Mm -hmm. and and some use in saying let's look at this thematically and not get lost in the weeds of like the individual interpretations of every little thing or you're going to do precisely that and you're going to go to each and every little thing if you do the each and every little thing it's going to take you 73 years to Uh get through a season and half a season um a time and times and half a time or whatever yeah um or you know, you and and I think your people are going to feel like they're in the middle of the tribulation. <laughs> you know, if you do that, um, I know when the tribulation is, and it's twelve forty-five. Yeah, yeah. Is the sermon still going? But, <laughs> but if you do the other, and you do broad swaths, then there's there's going to be questions. Well, what about this, and what about that, and what about this, and what's the flying demon locust with the mouths and the tails, and mm-hmm. you know the gas and all this kind of stuff coming out of their mouths and you know that kind of thing and 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 so you know there's problems either way you go you know there's not a just a perfectly clean way to make sure that you when you get out out of revelation everybody is perfectly satisfied with exactly what happened i mean it's just there's just not a way to do that you know and when you go into those yeah come disagree with me i might agree with you before you go to bed yeah (laughs) Yeah, you know, I mean, talk about it. Yeah, every, every little thing that you do is like a is it it is going to spark a debate, a controversy, a something, mm-hmm. and 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 it it's all. And to be honest with you, it's it, it is a little bit debatable as to what mm-hmm. he's exactly talking about, what the precise and and it may be true that John's not even pointing to an exact precise moment when these mm-hmm. things are happening, but a mm-hmm. but a, a cyclical type picture so you, you know you look at the seals and things like that you know is he describing an event that takes place where there is a famine or is he describing famines in general and their purpose in bringing about the kingdom of god mm-hmm. um is he talking about a specific event that takes place you know with the, the trees or the you know whatever with the trumpets or is he talking about times when these come about and how they bring about the kingdom of God it's a it's a good question I mean it, it is a you know I, I think there's not um, I think it, it's intentionally somewhat uh, left open like that for yeah. that that purpose is for you to go you know I, I could kind of see where this is happening now but I can also kind of see where this has been happening for the last yeah. 2,000 years yeah. you know and I think even for my first time preaching through Revelation it's I almost feel like I, my own understanding of it, it's just growing and growing every week. So taking a 30,000 foot view is, is much easier. Um, I don't know that I would, you know, I'm just being honest, I don't know that I would be much help if we were to go down to like the, you know, just to fly over the runway level, you know, looking at yeah. Revelation verse by verse. I'd have tons of questions myself. Um, but just to be real technical, there's, there's a seven there and there's a rhythm and there's an end where I think Revelation eight six through eleven nineteen is supposed to be understood together. 
So if you if you just preach the the four trumpets on their own, you can do that. But what's in Revelation eleven seventeen through nineteen is the other end of that story. So if you preach at that rate, you're going to be six weeks from the passage that is a unit in Revelation. Th- right. And those are the type of questions that are just hard to hard to to wrestle with. Like I'm looking at. Uh, multiple commentaries, multiple structures of the book of Revelation. And part of the frustrating thing is I look at Vern Poitras, Jim Hamilton, Greg Beale. Vern Poitras himself has like six different structures for the book of Revelation. And everyone I look at, I go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I think some of that overlappingness in the, the, the matrix of structure is what makes it so incredible. Uh, yeah. That it is, it can be all of those things, and they're not all stretches. Some of them are. Some of them are really creative. Um. But the, the point being, I'm not even trying to get at that. Revelation is not trying to make you learn those things. Suffering, suffering saints are are just not going. Oh man, I just need you know more clearer detail. They're they drink up the victory of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and we have you ever, as well. This is going to sound like it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But have you have you ever uh, looked at a a like ten thousand times magnified view of a beetle's foot. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. You should go online and you should look at that. You should anybody should just Google uh, Beetle magnified foot. beetle's foot, and what you see is this artistic design. There's no other way to say it. I mean, the bottom of a beetle's foot. Is oh, the, the most colored spiral thing that looks like a jellyfish? Do what? Colored spiral jellyfish yes. tangle yes. thing? Yeah, I'm, I'm yes. looking at it. Yeah, it, it's unbelievable. It's so beautiful, and it's like, but I have shown that picture to tons of people, and I, I, I asked them all, "Do you know what this is?" Nobody knows what it is. And then when you zoom out, it's a beetle foot. I'm like, oh. I've seen a million beetles in my life. I've just never seen that. I, I think of Revelation in a very similar way, that when you <laughs> zoom out, it's really easy for people to see what's going on, on the whole. Mm-hmm. You zoom in, and everybody's got questions. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's I think it's true. You get down to the verse level of Revelation, the 10,000 times magnified version of Revelation, verse by verse, word by word, and you're going to go, man, this is difficult. Man, this is challenging. Mm. But you're it's gonna get not lost as though... It. Do what? And you're going to get lost. You can yeah. easily get lost and discouraged, which is the opposite of the point. Yeah, yeah but the... the and, and I think to your point where... Not that John hasn't made his... The scriptures to be, you know, revealing and, and to be able to be you know, to searched on the verse by verse level, the word by word mm-hmm. level, I think it, yeah. it does reward you in that way. And sure. if you read Beale's commentary, I think you'll see, you can go mm-hmm. word by word through this thing and mm-hmm. you will see oh, that it yeah. does make sense yeah. and that there are, there are uh, explanations for, you know, even the verse by verse, but Beale's commentary is also a million pages long and mm-hmm. it's, you know, <laughs> filled with tons of, tons of different references and things like that. And so, and for good reason, because when you get down that to that level, you're trying to navigate the pathways of a beetle's foot and, and it's difficult. 
It's mm-hmm. challenging and it's uh, it's not without tons of debate and yeah. maybe he means this, but he could also mean this. Uh, whereas I think he's also designed the book so that on the at the you know the the regular human eye level and mm-hmm. not the zoomed in magnified version that the regular eye level that it is it's clear to everybody what he's talking mm-hmm. about yeah. and that Christ wins in the end and in the end church don't give in to the pressures of the earthly kingdoms who have temporary authority because their authority has already been taken away, and one day it will come to a screeching halt, and they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. So don't give in to them, or you're going to follow right along with them. Mm-hmm. On the whole, at the, that that top level view is something everybody can understand, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it, I think it's worth sometimes zooming in. It's worth seeing a magnified beetle's foot, you know. Everybody yeah. needs to see that, and just how designed these things are, but. But also, it's, it's good, I think, to just fly over the top of it and go, this is what's going on. Everybody agree with that? Everybody agrees with that. That's, and it's something to rejoice in. Yeah. I think one of the things that... So you're preaching, talked, you're not preaching a Beatles foot, by the way. You're just preaching the Beatles. Yep. Um, That's yeah, what I'm trying to say. Pretty much. I'm going one foot at a time right now. <laughs> it's kind of my, 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 my speed. But I think, I don't know if you said this, but we've, we've talked about this, how the certain interpretations and attempts at revelation or understandings of revelation lead you to a potentially prideful knowledge mm-hmm. rather than a humble faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think I've experienced that. And I kind of think for a while I thought that's what revelation was about, was figuring stuff out mm-hmm. and knowing things. And that's frustrating because I'm just telling you right now, I'm just, I'm just not that smart. I just don't, I don't read, I don't interpret, I don't understand as easily. Uh, and so I've said in a dispensational class at Dallas Theological and listened to it and go, I don't even know what that dude's saying. I just don't even, I don't even know what we're talking about. And, you know, find it hard to track and just be discouraged. Um, and not to say you shouldn't go deep, not to say you, shouldn't, you shouldn't go detail, you shouldn't go to the, the Beatles, you know, foot toenail level or whatever. Like, have you seen, have you ever seen the Beatles toenail? I, I haven't. I mean, look that up. It's, Wow. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I don't know if that's a thing, <laughs> but I don't think they have toenails. <laughs> it's just like if it just it can get so distracting from Jesus Himself. It can just get so distracting from Him, <laughs> and I, I think that helped me just go okay. If you know, it's a simple Sunday school answer. If your eschatology is getting you away from Jesus, it's probably not on the right track. Yeah. Right. Or if your if your eschatology makes you dissatisfied with somebody saying, "Hey, in the end, Jesus wins," if that yeah. if that just doesn't satisfy you and can't make you go, "Amen," yeah, then something's wrong. Yeah, you know you you've seriously jumped the shark and yeah. need to reconsider how what this what this study of the end times, what Revelation, what Daniel, what all these books are actually trying to move you towards mm-hmm. and stir your heart for, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. We, in fact, I have a friend who, um, starting revelation the same time I did, he's done now. I'm on chapter eight <laughs> <laughs> and the title of his sermon series was a crown with a picture. And the title was Jesus wins the book of revelation. 
<laughs> and we had had lunch together to talk about Revelation and just kind of interpret it together. And when I saw that, I was like, dude, he is copping out, man. He has taken the easy way out. Like, that just, man, you are so, you, you're dodging all the questions and stuff like that. Now you wish and you now that I look him. back, I'm like, man, that's a really good title. It's <laughs> 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 a really good title for the series on Revelation. Yeah. You're like, man, I wish I was him. Yeah, um, yeah. I wish I was wise and smart and better at that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just just think, it could be worse. Like, if we were preaching Revelation together, I'd, I'd still be in chapter one. <laughs> and my people would all be dead. And... <laughs> people would be like, I don't know if we're supposed to believe in the rapture or not, but I sure would love it if it happened right now. You yeah, know, it's taken just... me three and a half years to get through Matthew. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So... There you yeah. go. Well, awesome, man. I'm encouraged. Encouraged by our conversation. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast. Thank you.